And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts for you to check out, like Remarkable People, hosted by Guy Kawasaki. Of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. The Remarkable People podcast with Guy Kawasaki helps you better understand the changing world with interviews from thought leaders, legends, and iconoclast. If you are interested in business, leadership, entrepreneurship, he interviews the best of the best, leveraging connections that he's built over his career. Here's some of the episodes and interviews that he's done. He's spoken to Seth Godin, marketing god, blogger, author. He's spoken to Pat Flynn, entrepreneur, power podcaster, and popular YouTuber. He's spoken to Jen Lim, happiness evangelist and author of Beyond Happiness. He's spoken to Steve Blank, author, entrepreneur, and startup whisperer. If you want to listen to incredibly intelligent conversations with some of the most remarkable people on the planet, listen to Remarkable People podcast by Guy Kawasaki wherever you get your podcast. Today, my guest is Chris Ruby. Chris is the CEO of Ruby Media Group, a public relations and social media agency. Chris is a frequent on-air TV contributor and speaks on social media, tech trends, and crisis communication. Chris is one of America's preeminent social media experts and is a frequent on-air contributor on Fox News, CNBC, Good Morning America, The Today Show, and more. Chris is at the epicenter of social media marketing and frequently speaks to associations on leveraging social media to build a corporate as well as a personal brand, which she's done well for herself as well. She also presents social media workshops for CEO groups to empower business owners to utilize social tools for their network. Chris was honored by Columbia University's Business School to lead a social media workshop for its alumni organization, and she has spoken globally, most notably uh, at Microsoft on personal brand authenticity. Chris graduated from Boston University's College of Communication with a major in public relations. She was chosen by the Business Council of Westchester as the youngest 40 under 40 rising stars. She is a columnist for The Observer and covers social media, public relations, and tech trends. So what did we go into? So first we spoke about Chris and her origin story, her building her own agency and some of the struggles and realizations and insights she has from being an entrepreneur, especially in the social media and PR space. We spoke about agency work, how an agency can figure out if they want to work with a brand. How do you find your perfect clients? We spoke about what a good marketing campaign looks like for a company. We spoke about 
how creatives or agencies can build relationships with brands the right way and not risk losing clients. We also spoke about uh, some of the problems that she sees with companies in terms of PR and crisis communications. So a little bit about PR, a little bit about social media and some of her insights on agency. And then she also just loves to nerd out at the latest and greatest text. So we spoke about that as well. So overall, a great marketing conversation. So let's jump right into this. This is Chris Ruby, founder, CEO of the Ruby Media Group. So my name is Chris Ruby. I went to Boston University's College of Communications. I majored in public relations. I had 13 internships by the time that I graduated. A lot of different experience in all forms of media and communication. Um, and so basically, I remember telling my college professor when I was a senior um, at the time that I really wanted to I, not go the corporate route and start my own company. And they just looked at me like, like, OK, you know, like it was an insane idea. And lo and behold, that's exactly what I did. And I think that one of the challenges that we have in America today is that we glamorize the notion of entrepreneurship, but we don't actually have educators, at, at least at the college level, who are really supporting entrepreneurship as a viable career path uh, and alternative. And it needs to start at that level where we don't just have other entrepreneurs saying that it's great, but that if you have someone like myself, a student who goes to a professor to tell them their hopes and dreams and get some sort of feedback from them that yes, you could do this, this is the right course for you. Ideally, that person will give them that push that they need so that they can try. Um, at the end of the day, we all need someone who is going to believe in us and believe in that idea. And I think what's so interesting is when we look at the creator economy, just how many people right now are really making a living off of these these different no-code tools, uh, these different uh, SaaS offerings, products that they're creating. Um, it's such a different world, even from when I graduated BU, I think over a decade ago at this point. Uh, you know, my I was starting out on the social media wave, of course, like, you know, Facebook was the big thing then. Since then, yeah, we've had yeah. Snapchat, TikTok, Clubhouse, uh, everything under the sun. So there's so much opportunity for people looking to create something in this economy today. So you, okay, so you are entrepreneurial by nature and, and I think that that's a whole other conversation and we won't get into why I think education systems are broken because I definitely do and that's a, that's a separate, that's a whole other hour so we won't go down that road. But I think that, um, so you were entrepreneurial, uh, not entirely encouraged, encouraged growing up, but obviously, uh, you know, you you probably went through multiple jobs, uh, probably wanted to do your own thing at always wanted to do your own thing. Um, so you went through many jobs. Um, what was the, what was the point where you went and decided to start your own thing to actually build well, your own firm? I just want to say one thing. I think I was always encouraged by, uh, my family. It yes, was just okay, yeah. not encouraged by that one, you know, the one professor, I would say. But um, also but it's I, not that it's not even not encouraged. It's like the education system isn't set up to support that. Like the, the, the I don't think that a lot of uh, when I was in university or college, um, high school, like a lot of the classes were not focused on building your own thing on on trying to uh, create something, take it to market, understand how to find product market fit, sell to your first class. That was not stuff that was taught at all. Like, not even close. I think what's really interesting is that all of this started with my like senior, the final like capstone project where I actually had to choose a real company. I chose this company in Hollywood that I knew. I needed to cr create a, a publicity plan for them. 
I still have that with me today. If I look, I'm not going to find it right now, but um, I put it together for this company and he had, he implemented and executed some of the ideas and he said to me, you know, we, companies would pay you for this. And that's when I realized that, wait a second, like this is actually maybe something that I should be doing above and beyond just majoring in this. Like, I, I think that definitely got me like moving in that direction. And then I think there's some people who are meant for corporate America and some people who aren't. So mm-hmm. I had what was an internship that I had already had that was um, going to turn into a full-time opportunity lined up before I graduated. I think that lasted all of maybe two weeks because they said, here's a press release and you're going to um, craft this and this is the best time to put the release out. And I looked into it and I said, no, it's not. And they're like, you didn't listen to what we said. Like, this is not like, so you defy the question. order. And so I was like, but it wasn't the right time. And we wouldn't get the maximum, um, you know, media coverage if we did it at this other time. So, so right off the bat, that's all I needed to know to see that uh, I needed to do my own thing. And to okay. this, and I still have, you know, it's here we are like 14 or 15 years later. I'm still doing my own thing. I've still never worked for someone else. And that's what the entrepreneur lifestyle is really about. What's fascinating is there's a lot of people that sort of, I think, go back and forth between it. I'm not sure that I look at that as like the true entrepreneurship lifestyle, because for someone like me, you're not, I'm not going to succeed in a corporate environment if you give me a boss. That's just going to stifle my creativity. I'm going to feel like I, I don't have the wings to fly and I'm not going to do my best work. That doesn't mean, though, that I can't work with other people in a collaborative way. I mean, that's what I do every day with, with clients, of course. But the, the structure of that is, is vastly different. I have more independent and creative freedom to create. And I think one of the things that we could also talk about is like, how do you get the most out of the creative people that you hire? Like you're spending a ton. You spend a ton on an agency, whether that's a a PR firm, marketing firm, um, you hire a consultant. And then I see it all the time where you're going to bring that person to either create their best work or their worst work. And you are part of that equation as the person hiring them. So what can you do to make your most out of that investment? You have to understand that. who, Who are they? Like, what is their personality type? And who are they going to get along with and who are they going to clash with? And these are the things that no one asks in an RFP, which is still mind blowing to me to this day. Chemistry is the most important part of an agency client relationship, but it's often not looked at until far too late until you've made a decision. And I will never understand how we can continue to make buying decisions or at least other people can make buying decisions and not truly evaluate can we get along? Are we going to work well together? So for, okay, so that let's, let's go down that path. I think that's very interesting. And I think that's something that I've never even thought of uh, discussing. So I thank you for bringing that up. So let's first queue up. What, what do you do? What do you do for companies for people that who don't know who you are and who your PR agency is? What do you do for companies? And then let's talk about some of these things that come out of that, out of the work you do. Yeah. So I am Chris Ruby. My company is Ruby Media Group. I do uh, public relations, media strategy, media relations, media training, um, all of these different services for clients. So basically, I have a a three-step process, which is uh, package, pitch, and promote. It's a process that we have come up with. And really, my brand ethos is that if you build the brand of the person 
you build the brand of the business. So we start first with the person, figure out what type of thought leader they are, what type of expertise they want to be known for. We package that. We then pitch that to the media to target media outlets of their choice. And then once we get and secure media coverage through traditional outlets or podcasts or, or digital outlets or even television, we then take that and we promote those press placements on different digital media or social media platforms. Where people go wrong is that they get a ton of publicity, but they don't package it. So publicity in and of itself, just getting it is not the end goal. Putting it all together in one clean package where someone can see this whole body of work that you've done is really what the end goal should be with PR. And what are, and to, to, uh, to speak to some of your wins, um, can you name clients or, or some people that you've, companies you've worked with that would just show the level that you're playing at? Because I know that you've worked some big names as well. Yeah, so I've worked with, for example, IHG Hotels uh, for probably over seven years. I have worked with, uh, I was the agency record for Equinox in uh, the tri-state area, New York Metro, for many years, handling the local PR for all of the different uh, gyms in this area. Um, so those are two that, that I can those name. Those are impressive, yeah. That I've done, and also there's there's some other ones, but it's, it's super hard to talk about most of them. Um, no, no, I know. I, I appreciate that's why <laughs> what, what everyone's you're allowed to talk about. Um, OK, so let's so that point you just brought up. I thought that was interesting because that's a, something that. So say I'm a brand. I'm trying to work with a PR agency. Um, I'm putting out an RFP. So how do you know outside of the, the, the you know, you check all the boxes, they fill all the requirements. Um, but the thing that they don't look into is how am I going to work with these creative agencies well, how are we going to mesh? How are we going to actually create the best possible work? So speak to that a little bit about how a brand can figure out and also how a creative, a creative agency can figure out if they want to work with the brand. I mean, I think there are so many signals right up front where from a creative side, you can look at the, the questions you're being asked in that initial, whether it's RFP process or just decision making process. Um, usually someone is going to get a feeling. They and when you've done this for so many years on end, you get a feeling of is this person just shopping around? Do they just want information or are they really ready to make a commitment um, and buy? Uh, I always say there's a difference when people say I want very specific ideas. That's always a red flag in PR or marketing world because that is the thing that we sell. Right. So it's like sort of going to a bakery and saying, just give me the cookies, just give me a croissant. And it's like. I guess you could just give someone a bag of croissants, but isn't that what the bakery sells and what they do for a living? It's the same thing with PR and marketing. So when you're saying to someone, just give me your ideas, it's like saying, I want the croissants, but I'm not going to pay for them. Just let me taste the croissants first. And I think part of this is also like an education, um, an educational journey for the people who are buying these services. You know, it, when we look at this country, we talk about all of these things that are broken that need to be fixed in America. We talk about these huge sweeping issues uh, that need reform. I don't hear anyone talking about this issue. And this is an issue that needs reform, especially as you have more people entering the creator economy. We need to start calling out bad behavior. We need to start holding people more accountable, especially people in positions of power who I think often can abuse that position of power by asking people to do this work on spec and then never moving forward to actually work with them. You know, we, when I write a lot about cancel culture, 
I never mm-hmm. hear anyone, and I don't. I'm not saying I'm. I'm I, I'm not for cancel culture in any way, but I've never heard anyone talk about cancellations for the behavior I'm talking about. But it's actually in a way a form of IP theft when you're asking people to do work when maybe you have no intention of ever hiring that person in the first place, or you just want to get as many ideas as possible without hiring that person, take all the ideas and then give it to someone in-house to execute. And as far as I'm concerned, in 2021, the year we're in, that should not fly anymore. We should be having more business conversations about why that should not fly, why that is wrong. Because if you look at a small business, someone like myself, anyone to, who has to actually respond to those RFPs and give those ideas, I could be doing 30, 40 hours of work, my best work on a, on a request like that, only for that to go nowhere. It could also go somewhere, but it could go nowhere. And at some level, we have to hold people accountable to, the, to really what the asks are. What are you asking of someone to do what what you know hoops do they have to jump through now when we look at by the way there's a ton of threads on this if you ask someone you want to hire them for social media for a full-time job and you say just do a social media calendar or create some graphics those people will say this is not cool they're asking me to do this work on spec there's many facebook threads about this but with consulting it's different with consulting it's this understood unwritten expectation that you're just going to do it because you're not a full-time employee and because if you really want the work, this is what has to be done. So I think we should have a conversation about that. So okay, so that's this is this is a great segue because a lot of creative, you know, um, uh, the creator economy is growing. A lot of a lot of people are trying to branch out. The traditional nine to five isn't what it used to be. So people are trying to do their own thing, start their side hustles. And I see a lot of people that are trying to build their own consulting firms, services firms. They just take on anything because they just are they're like they're like they're just hungry, right? And I, I think that's those are the people who get screwed the most. People that are just starting out, not not the more tenured firms that stay away from things that like this. It's the people that are probably going to get hurt the most. The young people that don't have the experience or the time or the money to really uh, to do work for free. But those are the ones that end up responding to these RFPs or doing work for spec or whatever. Um, so advice for people that are starting to build their own thing, how do they, how do they build it from scratch when, and, 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 and find good work? How do you find good work as a creative? How did you you start? I I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Shopify. And don't you love that sound? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start run and grow your business. See, Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and offline sales activity, and effortlessly stay informed. You can not only sell your product, but you can reach customers online and across social media networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. You can gain insights as you grow and detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. Whatever you need to track, Shopify can track it for you. 
And remember, Shopify was built to liberate commerce for entrepreneurs and big businesses alike. Shopify is tirelessly reinventing tools of growth and scale for over 1.7 million businesses. So if 1.7 million businesses trust Shopify to help them organize their online and synchronize with their offline sales, you should be able to use it for your business as well. Connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day, accept all major payment methods, and integrate with any third-party app you could possibly think of. If you want to try out Shopify right now, go to shopify.com slash success story. That's all lowercase for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash success story right now. Remember, success story is all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash success story. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Get Abstract. Now, Get Abstract finds, rates, and summarizes top business books, articles, and video talks in 10-minute abstracts to help people make better business decisions in their private and professional lives. So you see, if you are into learning and upskilling, and I think that a lot of the people that listen to the show that are listening to some of the best and brightest people out there really want to push themselves to the next level. So you want to listen to all the podcasts, you want to go on YouTube, you want to go on Udemy, maybe you're sitting in a course, maybe you're reading a ton of books. It's so much content. So what Get Abstract does is it expedites the learning curve by making sure that you are getting the meat of all the different pieces of work that you're consuming. So if you're reading a business book, if you're reading an article, it gets rid of the fluff, you get the main takeaways, and you still learn from that piece. You just aren't wasting as much time when you're consuming it. And if anybody here who's listening to this is like me, it's because your life is busy. I actually actually moved away from physical books into Uh, audibles just so I could 1.5 or 2x the speed so I could still get all the information. Get Abstract is an even better solution because they've already done the research, they've already read through, and they've already summarized top points. So I highly recommend it for somebody that loves to consume, loves to learn, but they're a little bit strapped for time, and that's most of us. So they have over 22,000 text and audio summaries in areas such as leadership, finance, innovation, health, science, and more. They put together a special offer. If you want to check out Get Abstract, if you aren't sure whether or not it's right for you, no problem. You don't have to stress about putting in a credit card and paying because they're gonna give you a month free if you're a success story podcast listener. So if you wanna try Get Abstract, if you want access to the 22,000 different text and audio summaries of some of the most prolific thought leaders of our time, go to getab.li, so G-E-T-A-B dot L-I, slash success. That's getab.li slash success. You get one month free. You can go check it out. I would like to say that this is an issue that only affects new creators, but I would, I don't think it's true because I think 10 years in, 15 years in, the same issue still exists because we have a system that supports it. And that's the unfortunate reality. You know, that's like super disappointing for me to sit here and say, but it's an area that is broken. And no one is really saying, wait a second, like this isn't cool. Like there's no yeah. campaign around stopping this. There's no one saying I'm, I'm not going to do this. Or if you want me to give you lots of ideas, it's called a paid discovery or a paid audit, right? In SEO, 
we know that that's called a paid audit. And someone will say, okay, I'll find everything that's broken before I even fix any of it. Here's what it's going to be for my time to find it. And that's how they start. And what I'm saying is in, in PR, we very much so need to do something similar, right? Like we're, we're in that first month, you're saying this is happy to discover these issues, but pay me to discover them and pay me to figure out how I'm going to fix these things or come up with the pitch angles for you. Uh, but just doing that creative work should not just be a given uh, that you're going to do it in order to get something. So to answer your question, the first client I had, I, I think I met at the, the gym. They had a, a I was in a yoga class and they actually had a big business and that's how we met. And they told me that they um, were looking for someone to help with social media. So if you're just, if you are just getting started, I actually think there's, there's two new sites right now that are looking to take on uh, LinkedIn as competitors that have like heavy uh, VC backing. And I can share the links with you afterwards. What's really interesting about them is that I do think they're going to change the game in terms of a visual resume. And that is a great mm. thing for creators because people are going to hire. If you just show what you've created, like if you're a graphic designer and people can see what you've made for other people, that's great. You can skip a lot of what I'm talking about. I think some of this becomes more challenging, though, uh, when your work, at least in the PR perspective, it's, it's I don't know how to show what I've done unless I post pictures of people I've got on TV or podcasts I've got for other people. Most of the time, I can't really share any, any of that because I'm under you know NDA and confidentiality agreements. So it does make it a little bit more challenging in regards to answering your question. So it's not just early creators, and I didn't realize it was so bad. Um, I just assumed that early creators would fall victim to it more often, but that's kind of upsetting. But I also think that it's not a very public issue. Like if you haven't experienced this yourself, do you know that an RFP could require, like, I don't think that the average person would even know that. So how do you fix something like this? How do you, you so one, one example would be uh, building portfolios like visual resumes or just, you know, list of, of work. But if you can't do that because you're under NDA, like I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you have a fix for this? Because I see it being an issue, but I don't see an easy fix. I can't think of something that could be like right away. Yeah, we're going to solve. Well, the New York Times actually just wrote about this. And so what's fascinating is the influencers um, have come up with a few like TikTok influencers or Instagram influencers. They've actually created a solution to this. Um, I, I, I won't even say the name of the site out loud because it has a profanity in it, but I will send you the links. And so some of them um, are created by influencers to rate brands. It's almost like mm. a glass door for brands about influencer uh, and partnership deals that they've done where they can say, this is what they asked me to do. This is what they paid me or this is what they didn't pay me or this is what their expectation was. So they're now like circumventing the system. So instead of all of these people just being alone and trying to figure it out, they're rating their experience with that brand. I think that's probably a really great solution as long as they're not, um, you know, defaming whoever that brand was and they're giving good feedback. Yeah. I think that will be good to hold people accountable for bad behavior. Okay, that's 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 great. So it's, they're building a community around. So yeah, you'll have to send some links because if anybody is listening to this and is is a creator, these are resources that I think would be very uh, very helpful for them. Um, so that's one, so let's go through, let's go through some of the issues you see in your industry, because that, that is, that is one issue that we see. So outside of, outside of, um, the, the brands abusing, not abusing to some extent creators, what are some other issues you see, uh, that revolve around PR? 
Wait, I just want to be careful with that word brands abuse. So uh, not abusing, perhaps not. It's I guess it's my word. Uh, so, you know, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I would say that brands are not not comping. I don't I think it's I think it's I think it's not it's not uh, in good faith, but I think it's when brands don't comp you for your work. I mean, it's just, they, it's an old saying, can I pay you an exposure? Yeah. You, you know, and it's like stop asking if you can pay someone an exposure. Stop assuming that that's a way that someone can pay their bills. Like you're not you can't pay Verizon an exposure. Like you're not going to pay your phone bill an exposure. You, like you need real money, whatever that money is. Maybe it's just Bitcoin. Who knows these days, right? But you're, there's got to be something, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think just understanding and having respect for the craft of creativity. And under, yeah. there's a reason you're going to these people. They're clearly able to do something that you feel you can't do in-house that you're reaching out to them for. There's a price for that. And I think that price has to, you know, should be in align with what, in alignment with what the market is and what they are providing. They are in a sense, in a way, you know, providing creative for you, just like a podcaster. I mean, you know this too. I mean, you're you're a creative yourself, podcasting, producing content, all of that, I think falls under the, the creative realm these days. For sure. And I've, I've never, so I, you know, I guess I'm more sensitive to it because I've come from a bit like a B2B background and a business background. So I never do anything for free, but I know that, I know that some people that maybe, uh, maybe they just jump onto these contracts and maybe they, that's what I mean. Like, I, I know that abusing is not a good word, but it's like they're taken advantage of because of the naivety, um, and, and just not being aware of what they can ask for and what they should ask for. And I, I'll just give you another example that I've seen. So I work with a lot of uh, creators and people that ask for advice on how to build things. And I see, for example, sometimes a company outsources, especially for influencers, I think, because influencers aren't full marketing agencies. Company outsources a campaign to uh, an agency and an agency will go to an influencer and they'll say, basically, build us a marketing campaign. And now they're expecting the influencer to build a marketing campaign that they're going to take back to the company that's hiring the marketing agency. So it's almost like they're it's almost like now agencies are doing it to creators as well. They're outsourcing work. And I also think that's another issue. It's if you don't even want to think through the process, you're not even trying to be the creative. You're just trying to act as a broker and leverage people that may not know as well or may not have the infrastructure or may not have the resources. I think that's also an issue. Well, so I think what you just said also goes back to to another possible issue, which is when we talked when we started out today talking about chemistry, compatibility between agency and client relationships. Yeah. You just said is a really important point in all of that. Do you want someone who is going to be collaborative with you? Or are you looking for someone where you're going to say, these are, I just want you to execute this, right? So if someone comes to me and they were to say, these are our creative ideas, you just go and execute it. I'm never going to be a good fit for that. I'm going to be a good fit as a strategic partner who can push back and say, wait a second, let's think about this. You're coming to me as an expert here. Right. Just like if you look at a doctor analogy, right, you're not going to go to your doctor and say, doctor, give me a list of X, Y, Z medications. I self-diagnosed on Google and just this is all I I need from you. The doctor is going to say, hey, wait, I would lose my license for that. I wouldn't be practicing medicine the way I'm supposed to if I just write a prescription for everything that you think you need. But yet we have people in our industry, in, in the PR marketing industry who practice uh, this field every day this way, and which in in my opinion is a form of malpractice, 
when you, if you're accepting payment from someone and they're telling you to do things that you know are not going to get them the best possible results, but you're doing it anyway because you don't want to rock the boat. You want to make that client happy. They're the client. The client is right after all. They're always right. But is the patient always right? If the patient says, give me... Self, if the patient's self-diagnosing, yeah. So no, the, the, this is where, again, there is, you said what's wrong with the PR industry. What's wrong is that you have people who hire agencies who then dictate and self-diagnose and you don't have practitioners who push back and say, if I do that, I'm not actually doing the right thing for you, right? I could do that for you because, and then they won't say much because they, they want to keep that uh, account at all costs, even if it's not in the best interest of the person who's hiring them, right? So if I go to a doctor, another example, and I say, I need these things, the doctor could say, well, I could give them to you, but it, just so you know, if I give you what you want, it could kill you. Are you sure you still want it? Now, anyone without a brain is going to say no. Fine, forget it. I don't want it. But when we think about things in PR terms, when we, we have this conversation every single day uh, from a, a PR agency client side and people are like, oh, it won't really kill me. Fine, do it anyway. And that's just ludicrous to me. There is no governing body in public relations that, I mean, we, we have PRSA in the code of, uh, they're, they're ethical, I think, their code of conduct. So we, we follow that. But there needs to be more done in this area because I do think it's a real tragedy when you hire people to, who are experts and then you don't let them be experts. Do you, have a, do you have a suggestion for people that are creatives that are in this cycle where they don't want to lose clients? Uh, how do they... How do they approach the relationship the right way? You need to find so. the right fit. So I can tell you this. It's really, really hard. I, I can count on one hand <laughs> the number of times I felt I've had the freedom to fly and to do my best work uh, with the people that I work with. It, and it comes and it takes so many things coming together, the right budget, the right time. And why do I say the right budget? Because that means it's scoped properly and spec properly for the actual amount of time needed to do something so that no one's resentful. Everyone's happy that they feel like they're getting uh, compensated to do what actually needs to be done. That affects work, by the way, that affects outcome, just like it would if you had an employee uh, and, and you you know, for example, paid them an entry level salary for a senior level role. All of these things still apply in the world of consulting. I'm not, I'm not sure why when we look at the creators and the creator economy, we somehow apply a different set of rules for them than we do to the people that we hire. Uh, mm -hmm. These creators are showing up for your business every single day in a pandemic, by the way, that has gone on for over a year and they're still showing up to do the work every day. Collectively as a society, we need to respect that, honor that, and have more mutual respect of what that actually means. They're showing up for you the same way your employees are, but yet they're often just totally like neglected or rejected out of any team activities or anything else that I think is going on. And so I think that we need to really rethink how do we view the role of creators and 1099s and consultants as being part of our team? Because the world of work is changing. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have way more contractors as more people are working from home, as more people have left corporate America, want to do their own thing. So if we want to keep them, we need to first ask the question, what can we do to make them happy, to make them satisfied? It doesn't just mean thinking about how can we keep our full time employees happy? 
We have to start asking, how can we keep our contractors happy? Because they're showing up for you the same way your full-time staff is. I want to, um, I want to unpack from you what good PR looks like, a good campaign looks like, because I want to understand what companies who perhaps impose their own idea of what good looks like on a campaign that you're running, and it's not perfect. You know, you said you can count on one hand how many times you've had creative control and budget and everything, all the stars aligned for a great campaign. So what does a good campaign look like for a company versus what do most companies sort of just allow to happen when they run a PR campaign? I think old companies are not, that's, that's not the right way to say it. I think a lot of companies are um, using old PR metrics so to evaluate the KPIs and success of a campaign. And what I mean by that is they're just looking, okay, we paid X and how many hits did we get for Y every month? I think PR is so much more than just media relations. And by that, I mean, it's not only how that agency is managing relationships with the media for you. It's also looking at things like brand activism, like evaluating corporate social responsibility and your place and role in all of that. And if you don't have a CSR uh, campaign, possibly creating one for you. Right. And so that could be months of creating that campaign before you ever pitch. Right. So how are you going to look at for those months if you use the old metrics like I'm talking about to say uh, success of a PR campaign is only getting X amount of hits? Well, then what's going to happen for those months that you're building something? You're building something that can truly change the trajectory of that company. It can change recruiting efforts. It can change people wanting to uh, attract and retain talent at that firm. Right. But if you're looking at it like, oh, we, we didn't get, you know, five national hits this month then you're not going to be truly actually looking at, yes, we didn't get X, Y, Z, but we were building so that we can now get something even greater. So I think that in order to evaluate PR, we need to look at what PR is. PR has changed. It is not just getting someone placed on a podcast or a digital outlet. It is looking at all the different ways that we can connect with the target audience and consumers that our, our product or service or company can reach and being part of those communities. A lot of times it means finding those communities to start with. It doesn't only mean uh, getting a hit on uh, a national TV show anymore. And so I think there's this sort of divide in the PR world of the people who practice PR the traditional way, which is to say there are some people that are just TV bookers. There are some that are just radio bookers. There are some companies that only do podcast booking. And then I think there's companies like mine where it's really, what we do is I think more digital PR where it's content marketing, it's personal branding, it's social media, it's digital PR. It's a combination of all of these things together and understanding uh, how that's going to, for example, um, fit in with search results and what sites will move the needle for that for page one for you. Right. And so um, that's something where you could get a hit on a national TV show. But does that actually change anything from a, a ranking yeah. perspective? You know, it's interesting. I was talking to, um, I was talking to the, the head of Andrew Yang's marketing campaign um, and how he basically took him from his mother's house um, for when he was making the presidential run. And he said he got traditional media. He got him on news and it was like nobody cared. Nobody cared when he was on. I think, he got, I think he went on Fox once. He got like 10 hits on the website. Then he got him on Reddit and it just like 
overload and then he got him on joe rogan and that was even even more so i think these like these really niche media outlets if you understand your audience it is not just getting on fox or cnn or msnbc or any any outlet it's just about getting where your audience actually cares and i think that that's very important so um on that point when you run campaigns you're looking for a more holistic strategy that actually impacts the the company versus we're just going to put you prime time somewhere no one's going to give two shits about this segment except you because your audience doesn't care and that's the only thing that we're going to get out of you and that's something that you think is more of a traditional pr i think just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode hubspot now the holidays are here and that means client gifts maybe you're a classic type that goes for the champagne or the gift basket or maybe you're a little irreverent and you go for the custom bobblehead or monogram stress ball gifts are a great way to show your customers that you care but what clients want what they really 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 want is time and attention, and a little bit of love. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your business connect with customers consistently, consciously, and shows them a whole lot of love. New customer-centric features like a CRM-powered CMS means your marketers and developers can personalize the customer experience and ensure that the intention you give your customers is reflected in the data that is timely and relevant. Secure customer portals keep ticket conversations going between customers and reps, offer access to your knowledge base, and can be customized to fit your brand all without coding a thing. It's a customer gift that keeps on giving. Learn more about how a HubSpot CRM can help build maintain and grow your customer relationships at hubspot.com. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Playbook. Now, what is Playbook? Playbook is an app that gets to know your unique financial situation and helps you get the most out of every dollar you save. The best part, you don't have to do any crazy budgeting or change a single thing about your lifestyle. So if you're just making money, but you're not sure what to do with it, Playbook is the app for you. For the average user, Playbook helps boost their net worth by over one3 million dollars. Playbook tells you which tax advantaged accounts that you need, how much money to put into each one of them, and automates all these investment processes for you. It's rare that you find a finance app that thinks about your finances as a whole. This includes your taxes, your savings, and your life goals. It was super simple to set up. I just set up all my accounts and then I set my preferences as to where I want to put my money and then it's on autopilot. So I can be investing in my Roth IRA and my travel fund or my new car fund or my wedding fund or my kids education fund all in one spot and on top of that because it can forecast where I'm going to be in 10 20 30 years I know exactly how much money I'm going to have when I do want to retire or when I'm going to actually hit those milestones in my life financially because I've set up these automatic contributions so if you want to get on the road to financial freedom go to helloplaybook.com slash scott you can immediately predict when you can finally stop working. You don't even have to sign up for the service yet. You get a free playbook impact that's going to predict your net worth if you follow the guidelines that they set out for you. So remember, go to helloplaybook.com slash Scott. That's your special link for a free assessment and basically roadmap for your future net worth. Sign up for Playbook today so you can enjoy financial freedom and beyond. I think a holistic, so I do, so I just want to push back on that a little bit because they do care, right? It's just one of five things. So I don't want to say that they don't care because having that, you know, to say that you were on national TV is still good in a wheel of things, right? What I'm saying mm-hmm. is that to only just have a, you know, a, a book of PR hits where it's just one type of media 
yeah, I don't find that to be holistic. I think it has to be all of these different types of media. And I think that's super challenging, right? So for people, I'll tell you this, for someone like myself, I'm a, an on-air commentator, pundit, I've been on national TV over 200 times. When I started doing podcasts, that was a huge change for me. I am trained in speaking in sound bites and in speaking in cable for cable news where I'm in and out with three to five minutes. And then I start doing podcasts and they're recording for 30 minutes an hour. Then I start running clubhouse rooms are going on for six hours. That is a very different environment than what I am used to. And clubhouse, I think in many ways was also a a big challenge, I think, for someone like me with a a traditional journalism background. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so, but regard, regardless, if you, if you do have this holistic strategy, you still have to have a good story. You have to, you know, you have to get people's attention. So if tips for tips for that would be great. Just how to build that story, how to get that presence, how to get people's attention. Even if it's across a variety of different mediums, it's, there still has to be a story to tell. Well, you have to understand, look at what the market wants right now. Don't look at uh, why you created your company, for example. Why did I create my company 15 years? I always hate telling my origin story, actually, because I, I feel like our origin <laughs> story... Ha- <laughs> no, but I feel like it has to change, right? And so sometimes I feel like, well, someone has this sexier origin story who's creating a business today than they did 15 years ago, because whoever's creating it today, ideally, is probably going to be more in line with whatever's happening. So what I've learned, and I've like really thought about this a lot, and I'm glad we're talking about it. What I've learned is that you have the core of your origin story, but you can also update it, right? You can update it each year to keep up with times and and adapt so that why you created something 15 years ago is probably not like if you were to create that today, it may not be the same. And so I think that we have to adapt the message, adapt the mission so that we feel good about what we're putting out into the world, right? Like if you ask someone why they created something, you know, 10 years ago, they're not going to be super pumped, I think, about that. They may be more pumped to talk about, like, why they're creating some new AI application right now or, you know, a new tool. And so we have to figure out ways to update the messaging, to update our own messaging and our own narrative of why we did what we did. And do we still choose that same path today? And I think, like, that is a really tough question for a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs to think about. It's easy for everyone to come on a podcast and say, here's my great origin story and here's why I'm doing. But it's not as easy for them to be honest and real with themselves and say, is the reason I created this company 15 years ago the same reason that I would create a company today or a new company? And if it's not, that leaves them in a position where they have to really think about the future trajectory or how can they update that message or that company. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because even before we were talking about, you know, what should, what should, what should we talk about on the show? And and I was saying, that, oh, you, you speak about so many different things. Like we have to figure out like, you know, which, 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 uh, which direction we want to go in. And it was, and you were like, well, isn't that everybody? And I, I, I really do find that people have like this one specific focus for like a task that they're working on right now in life. And that's what they want to talk about. But it's never updating the origin story. It's like, here's my origin story plus item that I care about now. And that, I, that's like, a, that's a small piece of the thing that keeps changing. It's just like the book or the podcast or the, or the 
you know, the and the company I just started. But it's like that's like the thing they want to talk about. But they don't ever really update the backstory. The backstory is like, well, I've it almost gets to the point where. <laughs> It, they just it's like people who are excited about their origin story and they walk through it because they're very they feel like it's very impressive and then there's people that have just lived so long that they're just like oh yeah you know i i had a great career and like this is what i'm working on now but nobody really tries to update the context of their story and how it's impacted i guess their journey as they as they've grown professionally personally like everyone just kind of leaves it the same way and they just keep adding on bits to it and then it just turns into just like this giant thing that well <laughs> that, that's it and then I guess the thing is that's not relevant to the audience that's not as relevant anymore if you have this giant origin story that's lasted 30 years and you just it's like this like list of bullet points that now you just read through every time you go on a podcast or when you talk to somebody or when you you know if you have like a, a you know a website that's what people know you for it, it gets it gets old it gets tired I completely agree. I'm so, I, I think we're probably having one of the most, the realest conversations around this of anyone on any of these podcasts, because you're right. I think what happens is people have the, the narrative, the talking points, or the, the talking points that maybe the PR firm has given them that they want to stay within, right? And that's yeah. considered like a great hit, and they don't want to go outside of that. But I think the more challenging conversations are like, wait a second, let's really talk about what is that, does that origin story still apply? Is that does that origin story not only inspire your audience, but does that origin story inspire me today? Like these are the tough questions I think as as creators or business owners we need to talk about, but we are too afraid to talk about it because it there's vulnerability in saying yeah. I need to put my origin story on the table. And some of that is deep reflective work for the entrepreneur. I mean, I have to tell you it's something I think about every single day. Every single day I think about how can I update something I created 15 years ago to be as hot and sexy as these other things that are being created today? And that's a really hard thing to do when you have to reevaluate everything that you've built. And so much of the time, I mean, this is why people, even when they're doing content pruning or an audit on their site, they don't even want to get rid of content that doesn't rank or doesn't perform because it's something that they've created. It's something they've written. And it's so hard to let go of what you've created. And the best way to look at it is that it's not necessarily letting go of it. It's just trimming it so that it can be replaced with something different or better or that reflects you today. You know what else? I think that it's it's interesting that we're we're talking about this because people in their mind think that they have to be this perfect iteration of themselves. They have to be the perfect version of themselves. And you tell an origin story so many times and you tweak it and you refine it and you change the verbiage every single time you tell it so that it's almost like you have like some superhero origin story and nothing bad has ever happened to you ever. <laughs> and that's what the end result is after doing you know mentioning it for a hundred times in a row. But I find the stories that are most compelling and the most emotionally engaging are the ones that actually have a lot of a human component, a lot of a, a lot of failures and a lot of lessons and a lot of things that because I find perfection and success. Nobody really cares about that. People want to people want to dive into how you failed, how you succeeded, how you figured this out, how you you know, fuck this up and it was just horrible. And then how did you recover from that? And I think that actually the people with the best stories are the people that include a ton of failures in their story versus just the, like the highlight reel. 
I completely, I completely agree. And I, that also makes me think a little bit about cancel culture too, right? When you talk about failure, I mean, there's so many different definitions of what a failure is today. Yeah. Um, and, and where do you, I mean, that's a whole probably separate conversation we could have on that. That's a long conversation. I think that, I think that right now it's, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, there's obviously some things that are, are not great things that people have done in their past, but a lot of people have grown as individuals. And I think that makes a very compelling story if you can grow as an individual over, over your life. And I think that that's something that cancel culture definitely uh, does not enable people to be real about who they are and who they were and how far they've come. Because God forbid people find out about something that you've done 20 years ago and all of a sudden that's relevant today. Whereas you've, you've made leaps and bounds in, in who you are since then. And it's not forgivable, but it's something that I think somebody who's hit a low and has become a better person in my opinion, is is has more has more depth to them than somebody who's just done everything right their entire career and has never understood a down. You know, one of the things I say in so I, I I wrote an exhaustive and very comprehensive article on cancel culture and brand management, and we can share this resource with your listeners um, because I think there's a lot of helpful information in there. But one of the questions I ask readers is I say, how can you cancel yourself before someone else does? And one of the ways that you can do that is to actually as you're thinking about your origin story, right? Maybe if you know that you've done something that is worthy uh, in the public's eye of being yeah. canceled for, possibly include that in yeah. your origin story. Just own up to it before someone in the media decides to write about it. I mean, there's so many ways to, to tackle it, but you're, I think that's a really interesting topic and tie into this notion of an origin story. I just don't get the whole origin story. It's interesting. I guess origin stories are perhaps really inspirational to other entrepreneurs or someone thinking about starting something. But for me, like I want, I want to hear what's your day to day story. How do you make it work with people? Forget your origin story 15 years ago. Like how are you yeah. making it work today in the middle yeah. of the pandemic? Like when, when we have inflation going on in this country, when we have people being canceled left and right, like what is your today story? How are you living and, and just getting by, you know? And I think yeah. that story is the story we need to hear. What, what, what resonates most with, out, with, with media when people are trying to get their story out there? What should people consider? Is it, is it what you just said? It's the, it's the today story? It's oh, the so, things yes. that you're doing right it's always, no, it's not really about what you're doing. It's about what's going on in the media and how your expertise ties into that. So it's actually not about you in any way. People spend way too much time thinking about themselves when it comes to coming up with a PR media strategy. What they don't realize is the media has their own, they, I'm not going to say they have their own strategy. There is a news cycle. There are things happening. They need experts to plug in to talk about those stories. So you have to figure out what type of expert are you? What do you want to be known for? And how can you help them when there is breaking news? So for example, I provide commentary on social media, uh, tech, big tech censorship, uh, things like talking about Clubhouse, uh, anything or, or a TikTok or Facebook. So that's gonna be in my wheelhouse. But I'm not gonna say, let's say Instagram comes out uh, with something about, I don't know, follow, hiding likes or this or that. Actually, that is something I spoke about. But the point is there's a difference between what is relevant to me and my audience and to other trade publications to what is relevant to the national news. So you, you have, have, Oh, I was going to say, do you have tips for, so say somebody wants to, to, so tips for people who want to be relevant 
uh, for a national news cycle and get more traditional coverage. Yeah, so I'm going to look at right now. I'm going to Google social media on Google. Then I'm going to click on news. Oh, here we go. Like, here's the top story. Help, I'm being shamed for not being an activist on social media. This is actually, so this is something, like, this comes up as the top story. Interesting that I see this. This is something I could provide commentary on. And what I would do, and this is where content marketing ties into this, I've written extensively on cancel culture. I've written extensively on brand activism and on corporate social, social responsibility. I would tie in this story that I just saw and include the links of three other pieces of work that I've spent months working on in research and then give someone examples of me on air so they could see and say, if you're doing anything on this or if you want to take this and turn this into a segment, here's what it could look like. Here are my talking points on it. And I'm an expert that could provide commentary and add to that story. That is PR in a nutshell. It's how can you look at something and be helpful to the person who may be booking that or who may be producing a segment on that. But it's also understanding, I'm looking at other things on here, right? There's, there's other things that I'm, I'm probably not going to comment on. So it's not, it's not thinking that you're an expert in everything. It's figuring out the things that you truly are and putting that on a platter to the media. Very good advice. Very, very good. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, that's 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 great. That's just it just simplifies it. It really it really simplifies like the concept of PR, which I like even again, we were talking about, you know, how many other PR experts have you had in the show and, and not not many, but I think that it's still very confusing for some people what PR is and what PR isn't. And and how to get an effective campaign out, how to get some awareness out and I think that just simplifying it so that somebody who is perhaps not at the point where they can afford a firm can at least get some coverage and understand what news and outlets are looking for so that they can at least try and get something on their own. That's that's really the, the goal. If you want to get media coverage, pretend that you work in a newsroom, pretend that you work, you know, in, or in a national broadcast environment and pretend it's your job to find and book guests every day and to follow with what is going on with breaking news. Literally forget thinking about PR for a second and, and put yourself in the position of someone who is in charge of producing and booking these shows. That is the best PR advice I can give anyone, but it's the advice that almost no one takes because instead they think about these fancy C-suite strategies that everyone is gonna sign off on and that everyone's gonna love, but may have zero to do with what's actually going on in the news or in the world. And I think that is where a lot of, uh, I think, campaigns sort of go flat is that they think of it like a campaign. They don't think about it like, how can I actually be helpful to the person whose job it is to create and book guests? Amazing. Good. No, that's great advice. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's wrap up this. Cause I, I want I know that uh, I know that we, we spent a whole bunch of time talking before this and we killed a whole bunch of time just riffing on, on various topics. So I want to ask some rapid fire, like career questions to pull some insights out of you. Cause you have had an incredible career. Um, before we pivot, whether, were there any other things that you wanted to bring up about PR, about, about yeah. agencies that we didn't go into? So, yeah. So you, one thing that you asked me was about, well, I can talk about the future of PR. I think the future yeah. of PR is an AI integration into PR. And that's the that's thing right. that I'm most excited about. I forgot about. to ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know well, you could do a whole other episode on that. But so I, I think I'm really excited about AI and how it can help uh, publicists do our jobs in a different or better way. So that is what I spent a lot of time 
researching so what, right now. What do you? What do you? We were talking about some tools like uh, like like GPT three, like writing tools and stuff like that. Um, uh, so what what things do you mess around with that get you excited? What tools, new tech out there? Yeah, I, so I can't say specific names of one, although I, I do have a tech stack. I, I think I bought almost every one that exists to try them out. I probably have more than 13 of them at this point. And even if I hang up today and there's a new one, I'll probably buy that too. So I'm fascinated with all of this and the use cases for them and, and how we can create things. But I, I think that, I mean, that's something I'm currently working on right now. Um, the integration of PR, AI, and, and some of these tools we're talking about to figure out how can we use this in our industry. I don't think anyone has truly necessarily like solved or addressed that. So I'm spending a lot of time looking into that is all I can say. Do you feel like it's at a point in 2021 where it can start to replace uh, the human component or the creative component? I don't think we'll ever replace it. I think that it complements it. So there's all these articles where writers lose their job because of AI now. I think that none of I, I think that the output of these tools is not meant to replace the input, if that makes sense. What you should get is ideas from that output. But if you're using that as is, if you use that verbatim, that's not actually how any of the, the people who create those tools advise that you use them. So I think that if you are a, a smaller boutique agency, I think having access to these tools is uh, tremendous for you because it's like having five more brains around you and it helps you think of ideas. Um, and that's always great in terms of the creativity process. I want to do, I want to do an entire episode on, on Chris Ruby's AppSumo tech stack. That's what I really <laughs> want to do. <laughs> that would be my favorite to... episode to do. I know. I know you get, you, you, I nerd out at this stuff. I, I told you before I live on AppSumo. I, I go to product hunt all the time and I try and find new stuff on product hunt. Like I love this stuff. So I, I do too. My so my prime time for finding these tools is between 1am to like 3am. That's like literally when I'm searching tools and Facebook. I think, that's when, you, I think that's when you spend the most money too. You just you, like at that point, you don't even think like if I'm ever going to use this, like, oh, this is for life. Like how is for it a good deal if it's for life? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my God. All right. Um, okay. If people want to, if people want to connect with you, I want to drop your socials and, and just contact info in the show. So where should they go? You know what? I want to, I want to say one last thing because you made me think yeah. about it. When you just cool. said, this is for life. You, here's what I'm going to leave your listeners with. <sighs> PR is also for life. PR is not a three month campaign. It's not like you're just going to, if you're serious about it, if you want to be a commentator, if you want to be part of this world in the media, it's actually a lifelong commitment. It means being part of the news, following the news, reading the news, doing your own research on a daily basis. It does not mean you just hire a firm for a few months, you get a few logos and you call it a day. So similar to what Scott just said about these lifetime deals being a lifetime commitment, I think the same is true about PR, especially in terms of your niche and what you are pigeonholed into. So if you are going to be a social media expert, you will be a social media expert for the duration of your career. So understand that whatever you are pigeonholed into now is what you will be known as forever. So it's very hard to move in and out of those titles. So think long and hard about what, what title and what area of expertise you want to stay in for a very long time. Uh, I think that is something I wish that maybe was shared with me before I even uh, 
started. And so hopefully that will help your, your listeners today. That's smart. That's good advice. Um, okay. So where can they, where can they reach you? What's the best spot? They can, you can reach me, uh, rubymediagroup.com or chrisruby.com. I'm on, uh, Instagram at chrisruby, Twitter at sparklingruby or LinkedIn at uh, chrisruby. Okay. Perfect. Um, okay. So rapid fire, well, you can, you can, I say rapid fire. Some people take a long time. It's up to you, but you can long or as short as you'd like for these questions. So biggest challenge in your career, what was it? How did you overcome it? I think the biggest challenge in my career is that I started out without having that corporate uh, training that in terms of management, I think is really important to have. So really trying to, I overcame it by leadership and management courses that I think definitely help bridge that gap. Good, okay. Um, One person that was really impactful in your life, who was it, what did they teach you? My dad has been very impactful in my life. He's always been super supportive of, of what I've done. Although I'm sure he's not thrilled with all the conservative media that I do because he is not conservative. He's on the other side of all of that. But other than that, he's still um, supportive, I think, of what I've done. And as far as what did he teach me, he said, never be afraid of big numbers. Then that, um, his background, of, of course, was in finance. And I think that was a really great lesson for me to understand, right? I think a lot of creatives, we get scared to say, I can do this, but if to do the job you want may mean adding a few, you know, extra zeros to it or making like really specking it out or scoping it properly. And so that that advice served me well throughout my career. Very good. Um, if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would that be? It's hard. If I could tell my. Tw- I'm, re- I'm really thinking about this. I mean, I think as a, as a woman in business, it's it's hard, right? We focus, all of our time goes to our company and our business. And sometimes like the years can sort of just go by so fast. And so if, you, if you're thinking about something like a family or settling down or marriage or any of those things, it's important to maybe like, just keep that on the back of your mind as opposed to thinking like, oh, I can, I have tomorrow or I have another day or I have another year. So I think thinking about that is, is probably important to do as a woman. Um, and if you could recommend a book or podcast or some, some source people should go and check out, what would it be? Hmm. Let me think about this. There is a book that I would recommend and I can't think of the name right now. So maybe we'll cut this question and I'll think about it for you. I'm (laughs) sorry that I can't think of the name right now and that's going to kill me, but. Okay. Well, whatever that book is, (laughs) I'll put it in the show notes. You think about it (laughs) and come back to me. Um, okay. And last question then. Oh, um, I thought of it. Oh. Okay. Book, okay, so I'm going to start this over. The book that I'd recommend is called Win Without Pitching. I think it's a really great, I, I believe it's by Blair Enns, and it's a really great resource for any creative. Okay, cool. All right, I've never had that one on the show before. I've never had that recommendation. Win Without Pitching. Okay, I'm writing that down for me for later. Okay, and then last question. What does success mean to you? Hmm. It's a hard, so for me, success means I've created something new and put that, content into the world. I feel really good as a creator, whether, you know, if I'm creating a piece of content for a client, uh, there's a client I work with and uh, so they're an interventional cardiologist. And so we write about amputation prevention and diabetes. And I think that that content, I feel really great that that content, when that is out in the world and that's created, like that is helping someone who is searching for content in that area to be able to extract that thought leadership knowledge from that doctor and use my, you know, 
creativity or PR skills or content marketing skills and then put that out and publish that, I feel really good about that. So for me, success is feeling like I have used my skills to help people in some way and to create something that will last for a long time uh, beyond me. That's a, that's a pretty damn good answer. That's, that's, a, that's a very good answer. That's, that's all I got. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
it's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 